And we are live, and we're doing something we uh, we really haven't ever done before. We're doing an interview, and we have Nick Ferguson in the house, actually here in TSP Studios. Nick, welcome to the show today, man. Thanks for having me. So, guys and gals, if you want to ask us any questions, as always, uh, I star them for follow-up at the end. Sometimes we pick one up along the way. Uh, but the best practice for you guys is if it's something you want us to comment on, all caps were at least the first couple mm-hmm. words. That kind of brings it to my attention. We hit the little star in the comment chain, and we'll try to come back to you. Remember, we can see your comments if you're on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube here in the back office. Everybody else, you guys can chat amongst yourselves, but we can't see it streamed in. StreamYard does not have that integration. Now, Nick and I, we decided we're going to do this today, and we were sitting around last night having a couple drinks and talking about what we're going to talk about. Uh, Nick Ferguson, for those that have not met him before, is a permaculture concert, uh, consultant, one of the best I've met, personal friend. But I kind of brought up to him that I bet you that the motivation and the mood of your clients has shifted over the years. And I, I flip Nick quite a bit of referral because when somebody says, Jack, do you consult? I'm like, no, but I know somebody who does. So I see the, the the referrals come through sometimes for Nick, and I've noticed it just in like initial email about can you help me out. <laughs> so I'm thinking like back in 2015, Nick, when somebody brought you out, it was like more of the purple form of permaculture, even if they were not a purple yeah. person, right? Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. I want it to be beautiful, mm-hmm. and I want to live with nature, and I want to sit under the Bodhi tree, and contemplate my name. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just kind of setting the mood. That was the tone five years ago. But the tone today with supply chain shortages, food shortages, the president talking about coming food shortages and then doing everything wrong, has the tone and the mood and the urgency Mm -hmm. changed in your client base? I mean, ever so slightly. (laughs) Uh, uh, Because I I value my clients' privacy, I'm not going to get into details, yeah. but I have clients, plural, yeah. who are investing millions okay. in sustainable systems and bunkers. Oh, okay. I'm not talking about like full-on nuclear war type yeah. bunkers, but it has shifted from, you know, I, I had the occasional. Yeah. Occasional person, like, I'm, I'm worried about the end of the world as we know Full it. Full on prepper. Right. Plus permaculture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ten years ago, five years ago, that was, that was normal. Yeah. Occasionally. 90, 98% of them were more on the, the flavor of, you know, hey, I'm just trying to get a little bit more sustainable here. I want to, we're, we're wanting to provide 10 to 25% of our food. Cause I always, I always ask this question of yeah. where do you want to be? What do you want your property to be producing and giving you? What do you want to see this doing in five to 10 years? And then we work backwards to today yeah. to yeah. get a, get a good plan for how you get there. And, and almost always it was, you know, we're, we're shooting for 25 to 50% of our food. <clears throat> 
in the last two years that has changed to um, we really feel like we're a decade behind on what we need and, and we need to be producing 150% of what we eat in a year because we, we know we're going to have family that need to come. Yeah. We've got, you know, friends that are, are also working on stuff, but they're working on a different facet of it. You sure. know, we got friends stacking cash. Yeah. Uh, we've got tactical friends. Yeah. That, you know, they're, the whole gardening thing, livestock thing is just not their, yeah. their jam, but we're going to, we're planning. Well, we on know it. they're not going to be able to make bread out of their gunpowder and they're right, going to want right. help, right? Yeah. I mean, you can only eat bullets once. Yes. 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 <laughs> very short term diet. Yeah. Yeah. Very short term. But diet. it's very effective. You lose weight almost instantly. Yeah. I mean, all your problems <laughs> are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I've, I've definitely seen, seen a big shift. Um, and then this, uh, this whole, you know, bunker mentality, um, which I, I totally understand. It's, it's kind of changed from, we want to be able to, to filter all the air and be a hundred percent self-sufficient and be able to seal this thing up. Yeah. And recycle air and food and water and stuff for six months to a year, five, 10, 20 years. Um, to, um, you know, we're not interested in that. Yeah. What we're interested in is a castle, a yeah. redoubt, yeah. a place that we can pull livestock yeah. and people back into. That's a highly defensible location. Yeah. That uh, that is self-sufficient, so to speak, with with gray man food production, and when you have lots of mulberry trees and white mul uh you know white mulberry and hybrid poplar and hybrid willow grown out in the landscape. They're bushes. Yeah. That's not food. That's bushes. Yeah. yeah. And people don't eat them. Yeah. Don't people don't eat them. Our stuff. food eats those things. Yeah. Yeah. But people don't know that. So you don't have to like, yeah, no one's going to come try to steal your hybrid poplar leaves. And if no, they do. It's bushes. And they get away with a bag full of leaves. Yeah. You know, as long as you're not still, stealing the other leaves, we're good. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like you want to steal some willow leaves <laughs> or something like. Go right ahead. Go right. You won't do it many times. But yeah, the, the, the shift has, has gotten very, very, uh, very high pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the urgency and speed. Yeah. Like people want to move much quicker. Yep. And it's like we can move with design quickly. Mm -hmm. We can move with implementation quickly. Right. But we can't move results. No. Quickly. Like it takes time for mm -hmm. a tree to grow. That's why we, you and I have both been saying, mm -hmm. God, we've been, I've been doing this 14 years and I think you've been part of it one way or another for like 10. Right. Like the, the old cliche, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. Second best time mm -hmm. is now. Right. Right. So get those trees in. But I, when I listen to you telling me about those people, I'm like, I think they're maybe going a bit over where they need to. Yeah. We'll get to this next because you asked me what I think the next 10 years look like. And it's not great, but it's maybe not necessarily yeah. needing a bunker. But I don't worry about those people. Yeah. Because with what is coming, they're going to be fine. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I worry about the people who aren't doing anything. They're not yeah. showing up the economics. They're not showing up the supply side. They're not showing up the production side. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this, like they're friends. Like I've had people, family that I've had conversation with about this. They're like, well, I know where I'm going. And it's like, what are you bringing? Yeah. What do you, you think? bring? You're you not you coming. Are. No. Like my kids and my grandkids. Yeah. That's about it. Like everybody mm -hmm. else, like you, there's a price to get in the door. <laughs> but from a, a permaculture standpoint, if you build systems, then, you know, maybe select people get in if they bring something, but they can also earn by the sweat of the brow, right? right. Because now I've systematized it. 
And once I systematize something, I can take anybody that I would let in, right? You have, you have to be intellectually high enough to be let in in the first place that I could walk you through something and you are now able to be a productive member of society within our little like micro society. And I think that that's a big right. reason to get this stuff in place too. Right. Cause I, I don't want to turn them away. No, but I will. But if I have some way that they can earn their living, so to say, then maybe I can, you know, let one particular person in that I told already is not getting in, mm-hmm. but I told him that so that maybe he would do something. You know, and this guy's a cop. Right. You would think, you would think <laughs> that, 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 yeah, that they there'd would, be a little bit of a little more finger on the pulse of society. Right. That's what we're talking about is the mood. Yeah. And that's kind of what I titled the show is the mood of society, the mm-hmm. mood of the population. This mood is decidedly shifted. Oh yeah. In the prepper community, it's decidedly mm-hmm. shifted, let alone the larger of humanity. There's a lot of urgency I'm, I'm seeing. Um, I mean, my, I'm, I'm getting almost, almost daily requests for consulting now. Okay. Which is crazy. Um, there's, there's not a week that goes by that I don't get a couple. Okay. And I'm, and some days I'm getting multiple requests. So, you know, I'm trying to get to everybody, but I mean, there's tons of free content out there. Yeah. There's how many episodes is this? 3,000? 3,088 today, something like that. Yeah. 3,080 something. There's thousands of TSP episodes. Yeah. Um, I've got 50 episodes of my podcast that I did years ago. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good content out there. You know, I'm telling people, uh, you know, if you don't have good preparedness stuff going forward, Go out and buy some dang rice and beans and put them in mylar bags and just store them away. My wife and I, we just bought. It'll keep you alive. Yeah. Is it good food? No. No, but it'll keep you alive. But you'll, but you won't die. Well, and you won't make stupid decisions because you won't panic. Right. Right. Because like what, what I noticed and I would, I was totally expecting it, but it happened even quicker than I thought when mm. the whole COVID bullshit pandemic started. The first thing that disappeared from the shelves was anything long-term storable mm-hmm. and the things that people think of like beans and rice and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I was sitting there and I'm looking at these shelves wiped out of like, you know, the 15 bean soup and the one pound bags mm-hmm. of beans and shit. And I'm going, most of these people that bought this, they've never cooked a they've dry bean in their cooked, life. They don't even yeah. know how, like I can just see them going home and boiling it for 10 minutes and then trying to eat it. And it's like a pebble yep. and wondering what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had tons of people reach out to me. All the grain is gone. Like they wanted to store it. And all of a sudden now it's important to store wheat or barley or something like that. And, and I'd be like, what do you mean it's gone? And they're like, well, like Honeyville, like all the yeah. places that preppers normally buy stuff like that. And I'm like, it's, it's gone. Do you, do you know there's these things called feed stores <laughs> <laughs> and they have wheat and barley and rye yeah. and all that stuff. And you can go down there, buy a 50 pound bag. And mm-hmm. they're like, that's not for human consumption. It's like, it's, it's, it's wheat. It's barley. Yeah. It's rye. Yeah. It's people buy it as seed to grow it for you to eat it. Right. You know, and then the one guy got like roll, like he was going to grow it as fodder and he got like rolled, rolled oats. Yeah. Like yeah. roll. I was like, that's not going to grow, dude. Um, but so it was like the feed stores. Yeah. And then the other place I was telling people, like you could totally buy all the grain you want was homebrew stores. Yep. The homebrew stores had all the barley, all the wheat, all, mm-hmm. all, of, all the grains you wanted. A little bit expensive, but you could get it. 
Yeah. But like, that's what we were down to in a couple weeks of something that wasn't even real. Yeah. Now they made just, it real. Just fear. Yeah. They made it real by destroying the economy. But in sure. the end, the whole COVID thing was so immensely overblown. Oh my God. Right. Um, and like, that's why I didn't think it would get as bad as it did because I was like, pandemic was my thing. Whenever I would do an interview with like mainstream media or whatever, then they're like, well, what do you think the biggest threat to society is? And I'm like, well, other than us to ourselves, like an event type scenario right. was always pandemic. And I'm yeah. like, if you get a pandemic with like 6% lethality, you're going to have like 25% hospitalization and we're screwed. Oh yeah. We're screwed. So when this hit, I just looked at the numbers and went, a bit of a bump in the road yeah but then it was like this psychotic desire to destroy humanity with it and that that's all that's the only way i can describe it people think i'm over the top with it but come on guys like no that's not that's not how that works you know yeah and it's we're kind of checking out some of y'all's comments here the time to hire home homestead <laughs> glamour girl the time to hire nick was 10 years ago yeah. It probably was, but you can still, there's a lot that can be done pretty quick too. Maybe we can improve beans and rice nutrition by soaking and sprouting. Uh, I'm going to say be careful with sprouting beans. There are certain, and grains, there are certain grains that when you sprout them, they produce large amounts of cyanide. So I anything, did not know Yeah, that. so like for one instance is do not try to make sprouts with sorghum. Oh, yeah. Sorghum will produce cyanide, and I don't know what will and what won't, so always look that up. But certainly sprouting has its place, and many most things are safe to do it with. But when I found out sorghum would do it, it was like, well, then mm-hmm. what else might be a problem? Uh, Happy Friday from rural Minnesota. Back to you, Anarchy. Uh, hi, at Texas Eco Farms. Fed it to a growing – I don't know what that one's about. So, again, yeah. we'll come back to y'all's comments later with any anything you want us to really comment on. All caps, folks. So what would you tell a person who's in this urgent state right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, after you say, okay, let's let's chill. Yeah, calm down. Because we're not going to have a 300-acre estate with mature trees next week. Right. Right. But kind of that zone one, let's start off with producing some food. Where, yes. where would you tell people to start? So this is what I, I always tell people. Just take a breath. Everything's going to be fine. Um, start with... A small garden. I know, I know you're worried that next year is going to be horrible, 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 but start right now with a small garden. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Try and find some mulch. Um, I've, I've done, um, even if nothing happens and you get the ground prepared and and, and you're ready for fall gardening or ready for next spring because you spent this summer getting your garden plot prepped, yeah. mulched, remineralized, get some fertility on it, sheet mulched, solarized. You cover crop it and you chop it down and solarize it and you cover crop it, chop it down, solarize it. You could yeah. do that several cycles this summer. Um, that would do a tremendous amount. And then... You're set up perfectly for next spring to garden and and start with some some simple things. Potatoes, sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. Those are big time calorie crops. Yeah. 
if, let's just say, if the stink hits the fan and you really need it, you can live off of potatoes and sweet potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. So And so, down here in the South, like sweet yeah. potatoes are easy biting. Oh yeah. Like you can grow the hell out of sweet and potatoes. And you can eat the greens and they're super easy to grow. They're super easy to make more of. The sweet potatoes, I'm not even worried about planting sweet potatoes until um the end of May. I'm not planting my sweet potatoes until the end of May. And they'll be finished. So June, July, but they'll be finished producing by the end of July. They take okay. about two months because the sweet potatoes go on heat units yeah. to produce. Yeah. Everyone thinks that it's, it's growing days. It's not. It's heat units. They produce according to the amount of heat you get and they'll produce quicker. So start with a small garden. Um, if you can't start with, you know, a thousand square foot garden, start with 16 square feet. Yeah. A four by eight little spot, uh, a 10 by 12 little spot, start with something. That, w- that will make you feel empowered. That'll settle you down and you'll be able to think clearer. Yeah. And then, you know, get some, like you always talk about, Jack, copy canning. Yeah. Start bumping yeah. up your food stores. People need to not let that not be a thing they do, right? Like yeah. storing food, like this, I don't know about you, but the first answer that I give to, I want to grow all my own food is you're not going to do that. Yeah. Right. That's like my first answer. That's not going to happen. Let's, let's not even talk about doing that. Cause we, I don't, so, you know, it's the whole, you know, when I was a child, I, I, I right. believed in childish yeah. things. And now that I'm a man, I put away childish things. Mm-hmm. Like let's put away childish things. Let's not deal in fantasy. Cause we're talking about your future, designing your life, designing your property. So let's stick to reality. Mm-hmm. You're not going to produce all your own food. And then people are like, well, some people do it. Like, do you drink coffee? Yeah. Well, you live in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not, you're not going to grow coffee. So we've already determined one thing you're, you're not going to grow. Do you like citrus? Yes. Well, you live in Tennessee. And I don't care what you saw Seth Holster do. Right. And by the way, he grew one lemon tree. Right. He does not have a lemon orchard right. or a lemon grove. Like he has one lemon tree. It's a publicity stunt. It's cool. So we already know you're not going to do that. So let's, mm-hmm. let's think about storage as well. And I'm all about storing the high quality food I eat every day, but I'm also with you on few buckets of beans, few buckets of rice, few buckets of dry corn, things it's, like it's that. It's a good insurance policy. And you know what you do with it? If you, if it gets bad, but it's not really super bad. And those people that think they're coming show up. There you go. They don't get to stay, but they get to go home with a gallon of rice, beans and corn. There you go. And here you go. And you know, that's all you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And then that means they're only coming back if they really have to, because nobody really wants that. But yep, it's it, it's easier to feed your friends than to shoot them, right? And I don't want to shoot them. So mm-hmm. you know, store food for yourself, store food for others. I think the other thing that I've always been big on: get into some form of livestock, something, yes. and do it now because it is the easiest, high quality nutrition that you can do. Yes. Right. And we have many different animals. We, we were out feeding my little geese today. Mm-hmm. They eat grass. You can't eat grass. They can. They convert it into wonderful protein and fat and delicious. Eggs, right. The Muscovy ducks as well. They eat grass. You can't eat grass. Cows eat grass. Goats eat grass. Sheep eat grass. You can't live on it. They can. And then your fodder trees. Right. So then we yeah. could use the fodder trees to supplement that diet. I grow a lot of aquatic plants for my ducks. Yep. You know, I grow them 
water hyacinth that has protein higher than freaking soybean does. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you have, you can grow things like the easiest things we can grow are not things that we personally get to eat. Yeah. But other things eat them. Mm-hmm. So growing your food's food is often easier than growing your food. Oh yeah. Right. And so to me, like, yeah, if it gets worse this year and I kind of feel like it will, and we'll get to where I think it's going in a minute. Um, <laughs> But I don't think it's like 2022 is going to be a bad year and then 2023 is going to be a better year. I think it's like 2022 is going to be a poor year yeah. and 2023 is going to be a bad year. Yeah. So if you're going to like in 2023 decide, well, I'm going to start raising chickens. And if you can get them because they're hard to get this year and you get these little BB peepee things, yep. right? You're at 22, yeah, 22, 24 weeks mm-hmm. before you get your first egg. And then you have to hatch a chicken if you're going to eat a chicken. Then you're out like another 16 weeks before you're eating that if it's an heirloom, you know, homegrown chicken. But if you have an established flock right now, yeah. you can throw eggs in an incubator anytime. Yep. So I would tell people if you're really worried about meat production, you know, think about getting yourself a mixed flock. Make your roosters and your hens different large breeds. And no, you're not going to make money running chicken tractors, but you can make food yep. with those chickens <clears throat> anytime you want. And, you know, maybe they're small at 10 weeks, but it's still food. That's right. right? You don't have to eat everybody on the same day. You don't have to process everybody on the same exactly. day either. Exactly. You, know? you take your biggest birds and you, you save those for genetics. And then mm-hmm. your next biggest birds, you eat them early. And your smaller ones, you let them grow a little longer. And mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. we're storing our food on the hoof or yeah. the beak or the feather or however you want to mm-hmm. call it. With me, it's the fin. Right, I throw my fish on the fin, right? There like I don't have to refrigerate them. Yeah. They... And 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 so as you're as you're kind of building this out and getting some livestock, make sure you're learning. Spend some time right now learning and practicing how to raise your own livestock feed. It's super simple to raise black soldier fly larvae. Free protein for your birds. That's free feed for your birds. Even if you just have chickens, because they're not going to eat a ton of grass and a ton of mulberry leaves or whatever, start growing some some black soldier fly. I know they're gross, they're icky, they're they're maggots. They're free food. They're free food, and they eat trash. Yeah. They eat roadkill. Yeah. You you drive down the road, and, and they you, get rid of bodies too. I'm just saying. <laughs> So, you know, practice with that stuff and, you know, if if you have a laying flock or you have neighbors with a laying flock, you might want to look into how do I build a cabinet incubator? Because yep. it's really quick and easy to hatch a whole bunch of chickens and I tell you what, I think these next couple years that's going to be a good little side business. Yeah, I said recently on one of the social media sites, I don't remember which one, I said uh when you're paying your neighbor $15 a dozen for eggs, just remember how many times you bitched about their dirty chickens, Karen. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I think we're going to be in that place. Like, I didn't know. You just told me, because I don't buy eggs from a store. I have no idea what the price That eggs have literally doubled. Yeah. And that's one of the cheapest, reliable forms of protein and fat a human being can access is eggs because of our subsidy system and all. It's always yeah. been super cheap. So even with massive subsidy. And, and eggs might be one of the most subsidized, along with corn and milk mm-hmm. and soy. They're probably the most subsidized commodities mm-hmm. that exist. And 
doubled when, in the past couple of months. <laughs> when and so we don't go. I don't go to the grocery store, but maybe twice a month, um, sometimes once a month. And so I'm not really keyed into the price shifts when they happen. And when I heard that, that eggs, one of the cheapest foods out there, one of the cheapest whole foods, yeah, good, decent protein sources had jumped a hundred percent. Man, <laughs> I had to go for a walk and just kind of de-stress because that, that right there was that's a canary dying in the that, coma. That is, that's, that's a, what it that's is. That's a dead canary. You, you, you're sitting there working. You're singing 16 tons. Mm-hmm. You look over your shoulder and the canary's feet up in the cage. Yep. It's time to get out of the mine. Yep. Right. Like, and don't light a cigarette, Bill. Right. <laughs> like that. And that's where we are, right? Where you can either asphyxiate or blow up. Uh huh. And, and I don't know which one it's going to be, but I kind of feel like. This is like watching society being killed by an anaconda. It's just right. A like slow constrictor's death is crush. very slow, mm-hmm. right? And it's very and even once they're done being constricted, yeah. the, the devouring part is very slow as the snake yeah. eats the capybara or whatever. And that's what and it's it's eerie to me because it's what I always saw happening. It's what I've always told people to prepare for. Yeah. And I never saw it being overnight like a prepper porn no- novel. Yeah. But I also we talked about this last night. I yeah, never yeah. saw it being this slow. Yeah. This telegraph, this obvious, like everybody sees it, even the people doing nothing mm-hmm. know it's happening and then they're doing nothing. It makes me think of like, you know, the old B movies where the house is on fire and grandma's sitting in the rocking chair knitting. Yeah. Everything's fine. Everything's it's, okay. I was like, just, we I have was, to go, right? I was just imagining when you said like yeah. the, the slow thing, I was like, yeah, it's kind of like a forest fire. Yeah. And it's just creeping. Yeah. Because and grandma the, won't leave the house. Because the wind is blowing the other direction yeah. and it's just creeping towards yeah. you. And you got people like standing in front of it, just like warming their hands yeah. and, you know, doing the slow rotisserie, yeah. you know, twist. It's like and, being Cro-Magnon man and going, gee, that glacier's getting a little close. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I don't want, I don't want people to, to mishear us and we're not, I don't think either you or I are trying to be fear mongers. No. But, Man, I'm. You need to do something. I'm just. Right? I'm trying to be real, yeah. and you know, I've been. I've been preaching. You, you've heard me on on the the podcast. Whenever I someone calls in with a um, a question on on fodder trees or whatever, I tell I tell you guys every single time. Just about. I don't care if you buy from me. I sell out just like that every year. I don't care if you buy from me. Yeah. Go find these. You're not selling now because you're sold out. Right. You don't have any. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm saying is do a little bit of work to learn how to identify what a cottonwood is. Yeah. That I guarantee there are willows. Yeah. Cottonwoods and mulberry. Yeah. Somewhere in your region. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. This is not the best time to propagate stuff right now. You go cut off branches from willow trees anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere in the USA and stick them in water. Let them start rooting and then transfer them to a little pot with some potting mix in the full shade because these are baby plants with little tiny baby roots. Take care of them and you can get good quality protein growing. You can feed rabbits almost exclusively off of willow leaves and willow twigs. Completely agree. Completely agree. And and they are easy to propagate. And that's something. There's a giant mulberry tree right out this window that they can't see. And I don't know where. I think a duck took a dump. 
Yeah. And it, I, I won't cut it down. We talked about this. I really need to because it's going to start dropping berries on my outdoor kitchen. But yeah. it because it, it's too close to the house. But it's it's only like two years old and it grew from natural seed and the trunk is yeah. bigger around than our, your coffee cup. And mm-hmm. it's, God, that tree's, that's 12 foot. Yeah, it's 12 foot. 12 foot. Yeah. Yeah. So and and that's it. something you can do right now. You can do this afternoon for free and it's, it's action you can take. Yeah. And you know, you know, instead of being stressed out, instead of being anxious, do something. So then nothing happens. You have some really cool, pretty trees. Right. If nothing happens. Right. Yeah. And you don't look like a prepper. No. Right? If you if you line your driveway with hybrid poplar or hybrid willow. Yep. And you start pollarding. Mm-hmm. It just looks really cool. You just have pretty pretty trees. Yeah, it turns yellow. The willow yep, turns yep. yellow in the fall. The poplar turns more like what is pop, like more like a reddish. No, the poplar will turn bright yellow. Really? Bright like gold. So you the have the beautiful bright gold yellow yeah. leaves either way. Yep. Right. And then you have this palatable Mm-hmm. Uh, fodder for your animals. And the white mulberry, yeah. the, the young shoots and leaves, totally human edible. Okay. You can pick them fresh and put them in a salad. Yeah. You can cook them as cooked greens. Yeah. The younger they are and the more tender they are, the better they taste. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I yeah. mean, that's, that's human food. And, and the white mulberry in the springtime is normally 30 plus percent protein. You know, I think another thing we need to talk about with the fodder trees that people may not be aware of, if they're aware of tree lifespans, the trees we're talking about are generally pretty low lifespan trees. Right. Willows are a 25-year tree, um, so you get this huge willow, and then, you know, it, it's it's maxed out for, like, 15 years, and then it tends to die. Uh, hybrid poplars are not a real long-term tree nope. either. But when we use this fodder method and we mm-hmm. pollard them, we basically – we create almost a, like, it, out, it will outlive you. Yeah. Also, oh, we have a short duration tree because basically, uh, you're, you're rebooting the tree every time you cut it down. Yeah. Every time you cut it back, right? I, it's like the resetting the, yeah. I like, I like, you know, head height pollarding because you get that. Yep. And it's really, I, I do it more for firewood with my locusts. Yeah. So by doing it like this high, mm-hmm. you wait for everything to come back and when you get wood that's about as big as your wrist, you just walk by with a chainsaw and lob it all off mm-hmm. and then you buck it. And then you don't have to split it and you have perfect firewood. That's, so no matter what you're doing, this process works and it does make these trees live. I think there's chestnuts that have been grown with coppice that are thousands of years old in Europe, for instance, right? And chestnuts live a long time, but they yeah. don't live 5,000 years, but we have oh, yeah. 5,000 year old coppice systems. So it's like you're rebooting. It's like, I don't remember if the metastatic cells or uh, mesostatic cells or whatever yep, the tree yep. is basically this, that plant's stem cells. Mm-hmm. And that's where they get that big gnarly yep. looking thing. Yep. The meristematic on. cells will just kind of congregate in those, it, you know, if you've got a branch coming out and you're trimming it the same spot every year, it just, it just turns into this. It looks like a club and you know, Hey, worst, worst case scenario, you ever need it. You can just whack that sucker off and you got to ready-made club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it does look cool too. I've yeah. Got, I think it looks really cool. And there's a lot of trees that do it. We're just talking about the ones that particularly make good fodder. I've got, mm-hmm. I've got hackberries growing everywhere out there and yeah. some of them, they do the same thing. You can, you can use a hackberry for, for fodder. Okay. I don't know anything would eat hackberry. It is called hackberry, but I guess the berries are the hack part. Yep. The, the, the leaves are generally, they're lower in protein, Okay, you know, 8%, 6% towards the end of the year. And I think they, Kind of top out at around 12% in the springtime, but makes a decent fodder. Elm. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of stuff works, but 
that that's what that's the reason why I have those three as my my package offering is because yeah. as far as I know, everything that eats leaves can and will eat those three. Yeah. And it's not poisonous to anything. Like, like horses. People say, well, but can I feed this to horses or can I feed this to sheep? As far as I know, everything that can eat leaves will eats eat those these, things. And they're normally good high protein, good digestibility. And the hybrids, the only reason why I sell those over the native stuff is they grow way faster. Way faster and they're so easy to propagate. Yep. You take green stem yep. of any of them and you stick them and they, they root out and yep. they grow. Like you almost can't stop them. Mm-hmm. I can stop them here. <laughs> right. Like I think, I don't remember what it was. Oh, we were talking about Jasmine. I thought, I thought Jasmine was perennial. You're like, Oh, the mistake you made was you planted it here. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it is perennial. Yeah. But, but you planted it here. Here. So it's uh-huh. not, right? It died <laughs> and it didn't come back. But yeah, I mean, and I think the other thing is, and this is what we've been alluding to. You need to have something for some level of insurance going forward and you need to be started before you need it. Like Mm -hmm. I have people all the time. They Mm -hmm. want to advertise on the show or like even do like one-off advertising. And it's a lot of times it's the survival seed bank guys. And I'm like, no, because anybody that puts a a, a ammo can of seed away in their closet, assuming you have good germination, right? You still, you're going to, I'm going to grow a one acre garden. Right. And they've never grown one before. They've grown a turnip. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. They haven't grown a turnip or a, a radish. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're going to grow a quarter acre of corn and a quarter acre of beans. And like, mm-hmm. no, no, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. And you're, even if you somehow manage to dig it all up, unless you're living in like the Dutch country of Pennsylvania or somewhere the soil's perfect. Yeah. You're not going to go from zero to production. Even if somehow somebody matrixed you and like gave you all the data, you know, like when the guy learned how to fly the helicopter in a couple mm-hmm. seconds, or was it Trinity learned to fly the helicopter, yeah, yeah. right? Like even if you could do that, which you can't, yeah, you still are not going to get production that fast from land. You have to build up fertility. Mm-hmm. And I that, again, now I'm back to animals. Now I'm back to animals. Like if you have a small coop and your birds go to bed every night and you do deep litter, yeah, you have premium compost every year. I mean, that's what I do here. All I do is throw a ring of freaking fencing around it, mm-hmm. fill it up, wet it down, stick some pipes in it so it gets some airflow through it, and I do nothing. Mm-hmm. And by summer, I have primo compost. And the method I'm using now is modified from my old method. I got it from you. It's Johnson Sioux-ish, yep. Yep. right? <laughs> and it works beautifully. And even before it's done, it's we've. I was showing you, I'm already inoculating plants with half-composted compost. Yeah. But it's not hot anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. And it works. And it works. And the is it perfect? Take... Is it perfect? No. But it works. But it works. Yeah. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Just do something. That's why my tagline is do good things. Yeah. Not, not perfect things. <laughs> like if you've never gardened before, go to your big box store and just grab a handful of tomato plants. Yeah. Gra- grab a couple other veggies and just get them growing. And, and learn. And learn. Yeah. I don't care if you go get a bottle of seven dust and you douse it in pesticides and you get miracle grow and you use the evil blue death stuff just get something growing yeah what you pick off of that's going to be better than anything you get in the grocery store anyways even if it's organic yeah and and you've you will have done something good i'll eat squash grown in a highway median before i would choose to eat squash from the grocery store like, I know there's all kinds of icky gick in, in the shit in the highway median, but I also know it's worse. 
than if it came out of the mainstream. And like you said, even when it says it's organic. Yeah. What organic? Yeah. Like, look at the list of, I can't remember the entity now that says, oh, ORMI. Yeah. Look at the list of the ORMI approved, approved. product that yeah. they can put on your shit. If you want to, if you want to consume Prometheum that comes from chrysanthemums, that's a like fucking neurotoxin, yeah. then go ahead and, and rely on the organic label because that's what you'll be eating. Uh, grow your own food. Yeah. And again, I'm back. I know I'm hammering this, but livestock, something. Yeah. Like, and bees are livestock. Worms are life. Something living in your mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. Um, and learn, I, the other thing I would tell people, learn to make compost tea. We were talking about that today. Right. That people are so worried about organic matter in the soil and that's important. But absent life, like that soil food web, that's where your food comes from. And I think the paradigm shift for people needs to be, you don't feed your plants. You feed the soil organism and the soil yep. organism feeds the plant. Yep. Because that's, that's how you get off of the 10, 10, 10 fertilizer. You're like, and I'm with you. Like if that's what it takes for you to grow food your first year, just do, do it. it. Yeah. Do it. Right. But if you want to get off of that, we need to be able to soil life. Yes. Right. And, and compost tea is the fastest, quickest, cheapest way. Right. To build that soil life because that plant needs selenium or it needs whatever Mm -hmm, it needs. mm -hmm. It needs manganese or whatever. And that's, you can think it's not in your soil. It's in your soil. It needs a freaking tiny, tiny, Mm -hmm. tiny Mm -hmm. amount of that selenium, but it can't get it. Mm -hmm. There's probably enough in one tablespoon of your garden. There's enough selenium for your whole garden. The plant can't get it. But that exudate reaction with the soil organisms and that little critter comes over and poops out selenium. And then the plant sucks it up. So get that soil life going. Yeah. And get that's something living in birds. Right. Bunnies. You're a big bunny guy, right? Like you, you, you do rabbits. We had a question already. We've tabled for later, but they want to know if you're still doing rabbits. Not right now. Okay. I'm actually, so this year though, I am getting back into rabbits. Um, in the, the past, Gosh, probably five years ago, uh, I was I was gone so much, consulting so much that I wasn't able to make the livestock profitable because I was gone. Yeah. And all I was doing was just leaving a, a great big uh, chore burden on Your my wife, wife and yeah. kids. And, you know, it's, it's not a, a good thing when you come home or you get a text message from your eight-month-old pregnant wife. Yeah. Uh, eight month, uh, eight month pregnant wife, yeah. and and she's chasing a cow that got out. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's not a good thing. So so we we downsized on all of our livestock years ago, but I'm adding stuff back in right now. Yeah, um, we're getting chickens here in probably about three weeks. I'm starting with a small layer flock that's about three years old. Okay, they're still laying. Yeah, and we're adding Delawares uh, as a as a good dual purpose bird. Yeah. Um, I'll probably get a Rhode Island rooster so that I'll be able to hatch. Make your own F1s. I'll be able to make my own red sex link chicks. Okay. Um, and then so later this this fall into winter, I'll be able to start, uh, well, probably next next winter, I'll be able to start incubating and brooding out chicks and then separate them out. And then next spring, when people are panicking, I'll have a crap ton of of red sex link birds ready to sell. Which is what they're looking for. They want what that high produ- production yep. red, basically. Yep. yep. And you know what you got. And then you can just eat, mm-hmm. you can just eat all of your 
your roosters. That's exactly right. right. Unless somebody wants a rooster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Op3MD just uh, hit us with a 999 super chat. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I always try to acknowledge that when those come through. Uh, thanks a lot on that one. Um, yeah, I think that you're hitting on something we need to drive home. And I talk about it all the time, but we need to drive home with this. It's not just about producing for yourself. It's about producing for others. Yep. But that doesn't mean you're giving everything away. And I think there's a lot of small enterprise opportunity here. Um, I was shocked when we got rid of chickens and we went the 100% duck operation with just a couple chickens here and there. I sold off all my laying chickens. I was selling two-year-old laying hens for $25. And I was like, I should have no trouble selling a 16-month, 16-week-old laying head for $25. So if I raise a chicken mm-hmm. to 16 weeks and it's big enough to eat, and I do all the work to kill that chicken, pluck that chicken, and make it a beautiful chicken, I will probably get $20 for it. Okay? <laughs> if I leave the chicken alive, yep, and somebody comes and picks the chicken up alive, and I do no other work, I'll get $25 for the chicken. So I'm going to increase my revenue. Like 25% and decreased your labor by a hundred percent. And I think that there is something in that. And I, and people say, well, should I, should I raise them to 16 weeks? Should I raise them to 12 weeks? And I said, what you should do is you should hatch them mm-hmm. and then you should start taking care of them so they don't die. And then their inventory that yep. goes up in price the every long, week that yep. you take care of them. So I would sell two week old chicks for the same price I'd sell a day old chick. I mean, mm-hmm. I really haven't done much. They don't eat much. Three weeks. Price goes up. Four weeks, price goes up. Every week that bird has less feed debt when you take it from me, yeah. price goes up. And I'd say about 25 bucks is what you're going to get right now mm-hmm. for a laying bird, whether it's already laying or eight weeks away from laying. You're mm-hmm. So once you hit about 16 weeks, you just, that's your price. Then get rid of it. Right. right. <laughs> if you're not going to keep it, get rid of it. But I don't think you'll have any problems getting rid of them. Mm-hmm. And sourcing birds this year is harder than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. it's going to be worse next year. And now they're playing their stupid shit with bird flu yep. and they're killing birds everywhere. And they're making it harder for people to ship. And man, anybody I've seen on Craigslist selling birds locally, because I just track it just to see what's going on within a day, they'll update their posting gone, sold out. Mm-hmm. I bought 10 girl Muscovies and two Drakes this spring. And the guy says he sells them as fast as the birds can make them. Mm-hmm. And he's selling living Drake Muscovies, the males for those listening and maybe didn't catch the Drake thing, 35 bucks to 40 bucks a bird Gosh. alive. And he's selling them to Laotians because his neighborhood is like an older neighborhood. He has a big Laotian mm-hmm. uh, population. And when they have family come in, they like to take the, the big food culture mm-hmm. and they want something special on the table. Sure. So they buy these Drake Muscovies because they're big. Drake Muscovy is a big bird, you know, at like nine months to even, they're really big. And he said, they're like, well, we want to eat it. He's like, well, that's up to you. He doesn't process. Like they come with a box and they put the bird in it and they take it home and they all work together and prepare it for their, you know, Mm -hmm. guess the centerpiece of their meals. Sure. And I'm like, okay, for 35 bucks, I can feed birds for a long time. Right. So like I have to decide, Mm -hmm. do I want to eat that Muscovy or do I want 35 bucks? Right. <laughs> I mean, really like, and again, you're back to an animal because the Muscovy is like, I call them goose ducks. Yeah. Right. They're like half goose, half duck. They, yep. They're very much different than our regular breed ducks. And they're my favorite bird. They are. They're, they're my, my favorite, favorite bird. They're my favorite small livestock. Yeah. Because what do you want beyond? 
I will raise my young and give them to you to eat. Right. Exactly. And some, there's some vegans out there that are probably upset now, but whatever, dude, like it's incredibly delicious, high quality, freshest protein you can get your hands on. And it self raises it, it. You don't do anything. Like, in fact, I would tell you if you're incubating Muscovy eggs, the only way that I don't think you're wrong is that your friend gave them to you. Right. Right. If you hone Muscovy ducks, do nothing. And whatever that duck tells you about those eggs, trust her. Mm-hmm. Like you're thinking she's been there too long. Or, no. Trust the duck. The duck knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She's smarter than you. <laughs> if there's bad eggs, she'll kick them out. She knows what's going on. Leave them alone because they're one of the few livestock we have that, in my opinion, I don't want to even use the word domesticated. I consider Muscovy ducks tame wild birds, Yeah, not domesticated birds. There's no difference. If you go down to Central America where they're native and you see where they live in, like, basically they live in, like, swampland. Mm-hmm. And they roost in, like, scrub timber and whatever. They look this. We have a few that we've made some colors out of. That's right. about it. They're the same bird. They have the same characteristics. They do the same thing. But clip their wings. As you found out, they will fly away. Oh, yeah. They might come back, though. You yeah. came back, didn't you? I like, did. Yeah. <laughs> I, was working in the, I was working in the garden one, one spring and... And something buzzed over the the treetops, and I thought, "What the heck is that?" And sure enough, it was Mama Duck, and she she did one flyby, and then circled around and came back and landed and looked for a spot to to set up a nest. And a couple days later, Mama Duck was in the in the garden on top of the hoogle beds, and I thought, "Wow, you got you kind of look big. What's going on?" Got a little closer. It was the male. He came back. He came back and he hung out with her and she hatched a batch of babies and he just hung around. Yeah. They came back after like six, eight months. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't overemphasize, I guess, enough how important I think having some level of protein and fat yes. production is. Pro- fat. Fat and, and eggs. Yep. And if you don't want to kill, then eggs. Right. Just understand that when your birds get older, you have expensive pets and you're going to have to bring in young ones. Right. Mm-hmm. But right. the egg is really a complete food source. And Chickens, quail, et cetera. And then uh, before we go on to what I think we're heading into, quail, I think, is another overlooked production system. I mean, yeah, you do have to feed them and you're going to have to source your feed. But you can put away a lot of feed really cheap when you're talking about quail. Like yeah. it's not expensive to feed them. Um, I'm getting non-GMO, non-soy feed. and I'm giving 11 bucks a bag. Don't ask where. I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, but only part, you know, like, I'll tell people if you email me, I will tell you privately where I'm getting it if you're in North Central Texas. Um, but quail, I mean, you can produce literally thousands of birds a year in a garage. We've known people yeah. that have done it. Um, but where I think we're headed, you asked me last night and I said, think 1985 Soviet Union. People didn't starve, but they stood in line and they were hungry and food was really expensive. Yeah. And when I don't, I don't mean they stood in line at a register at the supermarket, they stood in line waiting to get into wherever the food was. And they had bread lines and they were getting their food for free. And I'm telling you not to bet on that. So think 19 mid eighties, Soviet union, no bread line. That's you're like, Ooh, fun. (laughs) Fantastic. This is going to be great. And yeah, that's pretty grim. And then people will say, well, that's not that bad. You didn't live there. You didn't live, yeah. So, and I also want people to think about what that means. So, 1984, 1985 was kind of peak 
shortage of everything in the Soviet Union. What happened within five years? No more Soviet Union. And if you would have told somebody in 1987, I think it was when Reagan did his whole tear down that wall, that within, by 1991, there'll be no wall. Mm-hmm. And there'd be no more Soviet Union. They would have said you were, in fact, people, there were people that went out of limb and said it. Yeah. And they were mocked. They were censored even. Some of them were writers for major publications back when you had to be to get your word out. And they had their stories like pulled by editors and like, we're not running this. Yeah. No one will buy it. We don't have anything like that happening. That's that's not a thing. And then it was overnight. I mean, I joined the army in 1989 and I was, I spent most of my time overseas. I came home in 1993 and the entire world was changed. The globe changed. Yeah. And we didn't pay, like, when we were in Panama and Honduras, we didn't pay attention to, like, any of the shit that was going on with y'all back in, in the world, we used to call it. We had no idea. And I get home, and I'm, like, watching the first Olympics after I got back, and I'm like, what the hell is Lithuania have an Olympic team? Like, I, I really, I had no idea. Like, that's how radically fast that change was. Mm-hmm. And people keep asking, and I don't have a good answer for this, why are we doing everything the wrong way? That's, that's like, what literally we were talking about Like, literally every decision night. our government's made makes the problem worse. Yeah. And this is not political, right? No. I'm not saying like, okay, Biden's an idiot. I think he is. But like, it's not Joe Biden. No. He's he's president, sure. He's got handlers, all presidents do. But I mean, at every single level, every single decision, in my opinion, the federal government's made in the last two years, well, last three years now. But this acute situation we're in now. So that's about a year of this really getting bad. Every decision's bad. Every decision makes it worse. Every decision's wrong. Mm-hmm. We're going to have food shortages. I know. Let's export more of our food. This is the – literally every other country's done the opposite. They've limited yeah. or banned exports of food until they store up their national reserves. We're like, it's our duty to feed the world. And it's like – it's that's the person that when the masks drop on the airplane, tries to put everybody else's mask on before they put their own mask on. Not just their kids – like their neighbors, the guy across the aisle, they're getting up walking around. Like, you need your mask on. Like, dude, you need to put your mask on before your eyes roll in the back of your head and you pass out. And die. And that's what our country's doing. Yeah. Like, we're worried about everybody else, which we've always had an issue with, I think. But this is, the word I would use is suicidal. It's suicidal. And that's why I'm, we're trying to light a fire under you guys' ass today to do something, right? Like, to get get some things going on. Uh, there's an interesting thing. The five stages of collapse book Orloff did, uh, live through it. Uh, I don't know if you know who they're talking about. I think it's Dmitry Orloff is the guy's name, but he was a guy that experienced Russia's collapse. So unions collapse. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy that's been saying for years, it's going to happen here in the United States. So you have this regional yeah. breakup. And I, th- I think, I think we are facing right now. We're looking at the beginnings of the fourth turning. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if it'll mm. look like the prior ones. Like they say, no. history, history doesn't always repeat, but it often rhymes. Right. I think we're about to see some rhyming. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think we have a huge potential for this type of a mm. breakup. And if you think about it, it's always been the right would be the one to secede. Well, like the left is actually in charge of everything right now. Yeah. And they're still losing their mind. Yeah. They have the Senate. They have the House. They have the presidency. Oh, you don't have a Supreme Court, too. You don't have everything. And so there's, like, mental shutdowns. 
over a decision where no matter what you think about it, whatever state you live in is going to make its own decisions, right? And and uh, most of the people having the biggest mental shutdowns live in the states where they're never going to have to worry about the consequences of the decision. That's that's who's having the biggest mental. It's California. It's right. New York. It's you know it's it's Washington. It's Oregon where these people are burning their own cities down again. And so the potential for fractionalization of this country mm-hmm. into like regional city states, I guess right. you call it, mm-hmm. like is higher in my opinion than it was during the time leading up to the Civil War. Yeah. Because the Civil War is a very clear cut us and them. Yeah. Here's our border. Yeah. West Virginia wasn't sure what to do with itself. <laughs> but other than that, pretty much everybody had already picked a side. Everybody already knew what was going on. This is like a festering wound and even to get a state that's very, very right leaning, very, very red state like Texas, you're still looking at 40% of people that are very, very left. Then you get a state like California. that's very, very a blue state, but still 40% of your people are very, very right. Sure. So that is messy. Then you've got complete destruction of the economy. Right. Uh, At the, at the retail level, I guess you'd call it like the consumer level. But the underlying central bank layer, we just printed more money in two years than all the money printed since the Constitution was ratified. This can't this can't you cause can't, any problems. And then it's Putin's fault. Yeah. Uh, so I know. Let's sanction Putin, <laughs> and that will show him. And so then Russia's like, well, I guess you don't want your fertilizer, even though you didn't put sanctions on that. And we have all this conventional ag. Fertilizer costs four times what it did before, and you can't get it. But that's going to be like it's just this overwhelming. And people, I've had people that want to be optimistic, and they're like, "Do you think this will be like Cuba, and it'll lead to going organic?" And I'm like, (laughs) "Not at scale. Yeah, not at a scale that feeds 300 million people every year, right? Like, and I've had this discussion for years, and I've said this is frightening to me. We have so many years." of dumping 2,4-D and glyphosate and all this shit on these fields growing these GMO crops, right? So that's its own problem. But the problem is also 10, 20, 30 years of dumping these chemicals on these fields. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to go organic. Okay, well, you've destroyed all life in the soil. Yep. You've eroded all the topsoil. Mm-hmm. And it's it's riddled with various herbicides that only plants that are designed to grow with that herbicide can grow in. And as long as you're not talking about some of like the persistent shit that is used on lawns, right? There is a half-life to it Mm -hmm. and we can recover that field. But year one is going to be ugly. Oh yeah. And year two is not going to be good. Sure. Year three is going to be, eh, maybe you won't go bankrupt in year three if you're lucky. And by like five years in, we can convert that field. Well, damn, a lot of people die in five years or go hungry in five years. And, okay, so now if you put me in charge, like you and I have said, I don't want to be president, but I'd be king for a while because I can get some stuff done if I'm right. king, right? <laughs> so if you made me king... The first thing I do is I'd start converting cornfields and wheat fields and potato fields into pasture, planting trees in riparian areas and running livestock, mm. right? Because now I can feed my country right. the mm-hmm. highest quality food ever, mm-hmm. and I and I can fix all this environmental damage we're doing on top of it, 
with cows and sheep and chickens and pigs. And then a savanna ecosystem is the fastest growing terrestrial soil system that's ever existed ever. Maybe some other planet somewhere has a different one, but here, the fastest way to grow soil. But at the same time, there's your solution. And what are we going to eat? Beyond Burger. We're going to eat soy meal flavored with chemicals and colored with beet juice so it looks like meat for people that don't want to eat meat. And it's the most toxic soup you can make. But Bill Gates says you should eat it. Now, if you if you ate what Bill Gates eats, you, you know what? You could be like Bill Gates. You could have bird arms and moves and a pot belly. Did you see Elon troll Bill? No. Oh, it's beautiful. So Elon put up a tweet, and I thought it was fake because it was so over the top, but it wasn't. It was real. And it was the pregnant man emoji, and it was next to Bill Gates. <laughs> and they looked like it looked like a character of Bill Gates, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's, it's it, like and, and Elon's tweet was, if you need to lose a boner fast. <laughs> but that's the food they want you to eat. Yeah. Like, well, why do you have moves? I don't know. Maybe you, because you're consuming massive amounts of soy. Yep. And they say the soy boy thing's not real. We know them. It's real. Oh, yeah. We've seen it. Oh, yeah. It's a thing. And Bill has, wow, I mean, he was never exactly like an attractive man. He was kind of geeky. You know what? You expected that from a guy that yeah. does software for a living. But now he's got pointed. And this is the future they want for you. I'm not going to be part of it. No, I have refused so, to participate. Yeah, so what I see what I see is is not like a shift to mainstream organic ag. I see a shift in small-scale producers. I see a lot more of what we're called victory gardens going in. Yeah. I see a lot of that stuff happening. I see a lot of people saying, waking up to the, the reality that they may not be able to feed their family very well. I'm not saying you're not going to be able to feed your family. Mm. You're all going to die. They're turning the frogs gay. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, I think a lot of people are waking up to the, the likelihood that maybe, um, Maybe I'm not going to be able to get everything that we're used to eating. Or maybe my food prices are going to double. And that's going to hurt. And so maybe it's a good idea to grow a little bit. I mean, if you start growing half of the veggies that you're not currently eating and you start changing your diet to more of a whole food diet... <laughs> it's coming and, guys you'll see it in a second and and you start producing half of of that kind of stuff right out of your own backyard then um and and your food prices your other food prices double well guess what it's just about a wash <laughs> the on. people listening to the audio have no idea what's going on we're not going to tell them you're going to have to go okay. find the video to you're know you're going to have to watch the video you're going to have to watch the video to know right but yeah like I completely agree, and I think that we're going to see a lot of people, especially like in the South, falling back to old crops yep. that are calorie crops Yep. That, that have a history of getting people through hard times, like uh, cowpeas. Yep, so, cowpeas, black-eyed peas, oh my gosh. And so, you know, people always talk about rice and beans is, yeah. is horrible. My gosh, dude, my wife, Katie, she's an amazing cook, and her... 
peas and rice that she cooks is a meal that me and my sons request because it's so freaking amazing. She does such a good job with that. I need to get her to make a video teaching y'all how to cook that because it's so dang good that people like friends and family will request that she cook it for them when they oh, come wow. over to eat. So I don't know if you remember, I had a book that I recommended called Ertzatz and the Confederacy. Okay. And it was about subs- an Ertzatz is a cheap substitution. So yep. chicory root chicory instead root. of coffee, right? Yep. would be a, a very common one. And in that book, let's, let's go ahead and get rid of Alex here. <laughs> uh, uh, but in that book, it talked about like how bad things really got. Like it was a good day when a butcher hung a rat up in the window of the butcher shop. Like that's how bad it got. But it also talks about how people survived even when like the whole scorch the South happened when, when mm-hmm. like Sherman's March and they burned because mm-hmm. they didn't just burn buildings. They burned fields. Yeah. Right. Because like if you cut off the enemy's food source, the enemy will surrender. Like we know that from warfare. And so one of the crops that survived was cowpea. And the reason it survived is the northern troops didn't recognize it as food. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what it was. So it looked like, well, that's a field that wasn't planted this year. Yeah, it just went There's fallow. There's no crop yeah. in that field. Like, they must not have been able to plant it because it's just the, full war, of weeds. the war's going on. And, like, burning a field takes effort. So if there's no there's no gain in burning a field, you yeah. skip that one. So there were tons of fields with crops like cowpea. Mm-hmm. There were gardens with plants like a lot of the African-Americans that were slaves at the time grew okra. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of plants like that that grew really well in the mm-hmm. South, and they were left unmolested by the invading Union forces. Mm-hmm. Well, I do believe we have a thing that I refer to, because I don't have a better word for it, is ancestral memory. Mm-hmm. And I think that the people throughout the South, whether they've eaten these crops or not, they have some ancestral memory of them. And I think you might see a lot of that growing. Um, I also, like, we beat up on king corn because it's such an abusive crop. But it's one of the most sustainable, and I don't... And we get this hole where people are like, I don't want sustainable. I want regenerative. And I just like, stop, stop, stop being the guy at the Star Trek convention asking the actor about Actually. one episode and how it did. Yeah, don't be that guy. Um, you know, I'll put it this way. Everything regenerative is sustainable, but not everything sustainable is regenerative. And just let yeah. go. Yeah. And when I mean sustainable, I mean personally sustainable. Because yeah. you can save your own seed and plant it every year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like the shell corns and, and the, the flint corns and stuff like that, they'd be ground into meal. Yep. Right. That is one of the most sustainable caloric things mm-hmm. that we have because have you ever tried to thresh and winnow your own wheat? I haven't, but I don't have to to know it I sucks. Have. It I've sucks. done it and it sucks. It sucks. Where corn, you can literally dry corn and store it on the cob. And then when mm-hmm. you need it, you just, mm-hmm. every country boy's done it, right? You, you just take mm-hmm. and you, Back and forth, and the, the kernels come right off the cob. We, I'll, I'll admit, we used to do it for uh, mischief night yeah. for Halloween. We'd go get 20 or 30 cobs of corn and a bucket, and we'd run around in a pickup mm-hmm. truck with buddies, and anybody with a tin roof house, you'd so you throw it up on the roof. <laughs> I, just, I just found um, some old, like, uh, early 1900s uh, data on uh, calories per acre comparing different crops. And back in the early 1900s, they were getting over, I think it was like 3.8 million calories per acre of corn. Wow. Now, to compare that to 
um, I think the the peas, like the southern peas, Crowder peas, black-eyed yeah. peas, uh, cow peas, whatever, I think those were about 1.2. If I remember correctly, I'd have to uh, refer back to it. But that's a big that's a big delta. Yeah. And sweet potatoes was even lower than that. Yeah. Corn was top. Yeah. Corn was top in digestible protein. Yeah. And just straight up calories per acre. It wasn't the number one. Now, so, I'll say we learned something from Native Americans, though. If you're going to make corn a base of your diet and you're growing your own little flint corns and stuff like that, you need to learn about nixtamalization because other, everybody's had the corn experience the day after eating the corn. And if the corn comes out looking like it went in, it probably didn't give you much nixtamalization. Yeah. And it's, it's nixtamal that makes all that nutrition in the corn available to human beings. And so we don't need to explain that on air, but I'm just going to say, like, if you're going to have that as part of your long-term plan, learn about how to do that. It's not hard. There's a bazillion YouTube videos on it. Dale's Quail, thank you for the $20 super chat. And Dale says, value for value, comfrey, purslane, mulberry, eggs, wildflower seeds will maintain a flock of quail. There you go. You know, and they also like black oil sunflower. I'll just say that. You can mm-hmm. buy a lot for a little and grow a bunch of it as yep. well. Um, let's take some questions now. I'm just going to real quick. Uh, Packrat says, this is why I like your 24 bulletproof plants. So in the wild practically, and it doesn't look like food hard to take away if they don't know it's there. And I agree. Like, I think we do need more yeah. hidden crops, right? But let's pull some of these starred guys up and see what we got here. Hopefully we'll remember what they're talking about. Uh, hey, Nick, thanks for the bamboo info. What about bending over and burying live cane to propagate? I don't think bamboo works uh, that way. Yes, it does. Oh, it does? Yes, I've done it. Um, okay. So, uh, so you can basically layer bamboo. Right. So what I've done is I've dug underneath the root ball, okay. and I've excavated a little hole, and I've taken the whole root ball, laid it sideways, and then did the whole – drill the holes in in the the sections in between. Okay. And filled them full of water, made sure they were uh, in contact with soil, okay. and um, staked it down to hold it in place. And as soon as those uh, joints, as long as those joints are in contact with soil and stay moist, they'll start uh, producing shoots and roots. And then once they start, once they start growing, you're able to cut that section off, and you have a whole new plant. Cool. And everyone, he makes some of the most awesome. Produce. Check out his uh his about Texas Eco Farms yep. here on YouTube is go, the handle. Yeah, go check out his Instagram. Amazing work. You know what that makes me think of though? We've talked about this before. Living fences and using things like Osage Orange. Mm-hmm. And it's a great idea, but it takes time and effort and maintenance to get that that shrub fence mm-hmm. made up. But like I think it was Franklin or Jefferson said it would be hog tight. Hog tight. Yeah. Right. So we're actually moving into a place where I think people might realize that they have more time than money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things like these hedgerows, mm-hmm. whether it's hazelnut, it's edible or it's Osage orange, like these hedgerows in Germany in Holland and et cetera, held up tanks during World War II. Mm-hmm. Like they eventually got through and whatever, but they actually had to like burn hedgerows to get tanks of the day across fields. Like, so that tells you something about what a hedgerow can do. And so I think you might find that a person who would have in the past just said, screw it, I'll just buy fencing. will realize, oh, look, I just drove down the road and I saw a bunch of these big green balls. That must be an Osage orange tree. 
you throw 20 or 30 of those balls into some five-gallon buckets full of water. Yep. They fall apart. You pull the seeds out of them. Mm-hmm. You plant one every couple feet along where you want a fence. Well, they come up and they make a whip. Yep. You bend them over like you were talking about, and then they, mm-hmm. they grow verticals from what would have been branches. And in yep. a few years, you have a, thick, a fence you don't want to go through. A thick fence. It's, the, the, the and there's thorns. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we might see I'm, – I'm talking about that. But, like, last night we were talking about Dobbin Waddle. Like, I think a lot of these, like, if you watched Hills from the Green Valley and uh, exactly. Wartime Farm and stuff like that. Old from, tech. Like, we're going to start using a lot more of this. Mm-hmm. And not because everything went away. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what everybody mm-hmm. always thought. Like, uh, I can't think of the guy. James H- Howard Kunstler's books, like, Too Much Magic and all, like, this yeah. post-apocalyptic collapse of technology. Yeah. I don't think technology has to go away for people to stop using it. It has to outpace your ability to afford it. Right. Right. So some technologies are deflationary. Mm-hmm. Like if it's a soft product, it's deflationary. If it's an electronic product, it's deflationary with economy of scale. Even in bad times. Right now, you can go buy a 70-inch TV at Costco for less than you could buy a 50-inch TV five years ago. Mm-hmm. Last year almost, right? It, like that's still on a downward scale. But when the technology also involves a hard product, a commodity that has to go with it to make it work, and we're not talking about a silicon chip, we're talking about poles for a fence. Right. Or we're talking about harvesting equipment, or we're talking about things like this. Or boards. Like, yes, boards, plywood. <laughs> yeah. Right. All of a sudden, we don't think of that as technology, but it is technology. It is. Right. Pipe is technology. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you go back and try to move water 2,000 years ago, you end up with the giant aqueduct system that the Romans put in. You realize how valuable a freaking pipe is. And even a couple hundred years ago, we didn't have pipe like we think of it. Yeah. Right. So like pipe is a technology. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden when PVC is not stupid cheap and there used to be books like how to make a hundred things with PVC because it was so cheap. Right. Right. All of a sudden it's not so cheap anymore. Mm-hmm. Half inch is expensive, but go buy some two inch and then start buying the fittings. So all of a sudden people are starting to look at how do I move water without pipe? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think there's going to be a lot more of this, of bringing back older tech, older techniques. Like I said, Dobbin Waddle. Yep. You got mud. You got animal poop. You got straw. You got, got twigs. You got a wall. Right. You've got coppiced, hybrid poplar, and hybrid willow. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now, yep, I can't afford the the lumber, but I can take these sticks and jab them in the ground and cover them in some grass and clay mixture and make walls that are yeah. rodent proof. Yeah. And now I can make a chicken coop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For, for just, just your labor. Yeah. Yeah. Or like you, you're buying a bandsaw, yeah. uh, sawmill, mm-hmm. a bandsaw, uh, sawmill. So you can mill your own lumber. Well, yep. that was always something that people talked about and some people did, but it ended, it was like, it was right on the edge of being profitable. Now it's, it's almost immediately profitable. If I build one shed, yeah, pay for it. It's paid for paid itself. For it. Yeah, you know that's something we got to say about too. Like, I think people need more and more to start thinking: How do I add this thing and pay for it? Yes, right. Not necessarily go into business full time with it. Like using Nicole and many of the people in our community that have done the freeze dryers as an mm-hmm. example. They buy the freeze dryer. Mm-hmm. They buy giant <laughs> bags of Skittles, the candy corn. They make freeze dried. Skittles, yep. which are like, if you're a sugar addict, they're like crack. They put them in little bags and they sell them. Mm-hmm. They actually don't enjoy doing it, right? Because you're occupying your freeze dryer. You have to package all this crap up. But in six months, 
they've paid for a $3,000 freeze dryer. Yep. It's now a free freeze dryer. And then, you know, the beauty of that is it leaves open the opportunity because there's only so many people doing this at any given time. Because most people that do it, as soon as that thing's paid for, I'm not I'm doing done. it anymore. <laughs> I mean, they might do a Bachelor Neighbors once in a while. Right. And, whoa, whoa, you're talking about, you know, selling something valuable to sugar addicts at a crash, right? You want some freeze-dried Skittles? Right. A little bag? It'd be like dealing dope uh-huh. at that point, right? Yeah. But, like, how can you do that? Like, you know... With my aquatic systems, I'll sell a couple big goldfish every year. That pays for all the food for the whole year, right? Like It's thinking outside the box. What can you do, like with that sawmill? Like you said, I build one coop, it's paid for. But you milled your neighbor's trees for him, mm-hmm. and it paid for it. Now it's paid for itself again. Right. And now it really paid for itself mm-hmm. because now there's a cash inflow. So now you can go build another building on your property. And, you can pay for your nails. And, and think your, about all these people buying chickens. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they need chicken coops. Chicken coops. You can mill lumber. You can make chicken coop. I can make right. a handful of little chicken coops that are trailerable that I can actually put in the bed of my pickup truck and just slide off with yeah. with a couple boards. And see, and boom. Five years ago, I would say, well, I can, without leaving my house, I can make a phone call to Lowe's, mm-hmm. and within a few days, a guy will show up with a truck mm-hmm. and put up an eight by eight tough shed for under a thousand bucks. So. I don't need that right? because I would have a much bigger, better chicken coop. An 8x8 is a good size little coop, Yep. right? Well, now that same building is like $2,000. And that big one that people can't see, but that big one out there, we paid $2,600 for that installed. It's a, I think it's a 16, a 12 by 16. The Love Shack? Yeah, the Love Shack that you're staying with your wife, right? (laughs) It's a 12 by 16 with a loft. Yeah. And we paid under $3,000 installed mm-hmm. a few years ago for it. I don't even want to know. It's probably like 10 grand now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Holy crap, either. right? I, I, and so now everybody sees this as a problem. I think we need to start seeing the opportunity that it creates, right? Yeah. Because if you're milling your own lumber or you're growing your own material, mm-hmm. your cost is yesterday's cost, right? right? And the expense of your customers today's expense. And you can come in in the middle of that and be twice as profitable as you would have been before and get more business than you could probably handle. I don't want to build every daub and waddle Mm -hmm. wall. I don't want to build any daub and waddle walls. No. Right? If you see me doing daub and waddle, somebody talk me into doing it as a workshop or things are, you won't see me Mm -hmm. doing it. Because things are bad enough that I won't be able to put it on YouTube for you to look at it. Right. right? Those are the only two options that that happens with, and hopefully we'll get there. But we are going to have a lot of opportunities. Sprouts can harbor bad bacterium and must wash thoroughly, says Don Ricardo. Good advice. I don't think we nearly, unless there's something you want to say about it. <laughs> Michael, we know Michael. You know Michael V. You know who that is? Michael Fertries. V. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay, I see it. No. Yeah. Does sprouting actually improve nutrition or just add water weight and digestibility? I think it's in it depends. Well, and I think I think maybe it doesn't add nutrition, but in some cases it'll take away anti-nutrient like phytic acid. It'll yeah. get rid of that so it improves the the digestibility, so it improves nutrient access. Um so I think most cases that's what you're going to see with that, like uh, um, turning 
hard, dry corn into uh, what's the the lye process where you kind of nixtamalization. Is it the the what's what's that stuff called that that you make uh, polenta out of? Oh, uh, basically it's grits. Yeah, yeah. Just making grits. Polenta is just a different kind of grits. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so I I think that's. That's that's what I that's what I'd say about it. Yeah, I would say that it's more it changes the nutritional profile yeah. to a different profile, and in some instances it actually would improve it depending on what you're looking for. So, for instance, most of your seeds they're going to have the most fat as a percentage of their caloric intake when they're still a seed. Mm-hmm. But if you take something like black oil sunflower and you grow black oil sunflower to a microgreen stage, mm-hmm. it actually increases the amount of fat that you're consuming if you if you if you back out the liquid weight. Oh okay. so if you were to dry it right. and eat it, it would actually have more fat per ounce. You know? Now you I would I don't think it would taste very good that way. And then I think we gotta get creative too, like using things. Like I've been getting great tips from the audience on things that I've always seen as a waste product. So you know I always grow out my green onions mm-hmm. and eventually they go nuts. Yeah. And they get big as a leak and then they taste like crap and all. He's like, just take those, cut them, throw them in the dehydrator and make onion powder out of them. Hmm. Like I never thought of that, but it works really good. Awesome. And it's actually a really unique onion powder. It's because it's a green onion. It's yeah, got yeah. that green onion bite. It's really cool. So like, I think we're going to see more people getting, uh, uh, Get, getting inventive. And Mike again says, uh, sumac is Tennessee citrus. Yep. So if somebody else asked, and I don't know if we have it started, mm-hmm. but is there any use for sumac? Yeah. It's, it's, it's vitamin C. Yeah. And it makes basically pink lemonade. Yep. Make sure you're using staghorn and not, uh, not poison sumac. Of course, you know, your staghorn <laughs> and your smooth sumacs are pink. Uh-huh. Your poison's white. Right. So if you mess that up, mm-hmm. I don't know what to I, You know, I got to say, I don't think I've ever even seen poison sumac. I have. It it's, exists. It sucks. It exists. I'm sure it does, but... I've touched it and it sucks. Oh, I'm sure it does. <laughs> uh, but I, I'll tell you the other good use for sumac, since it is a citrus. You dry the berries and you use it as a seasoning. And one of the things that's really good on is fish. Hmm. So fish is fantastic. And then um, we call them carrot fries. So you cut your carrots into matchsticks. Yep. And you sprinkle them with sumac and salt and pepper. And you throw them in the oven on like the convection roast. Hmm. And it's it's freaking delicious. So cool. it's and um, Middle Eastern sumac has a very long history of being used in a seasoning. And we don't do it here in the United States. And I've tasted the imported product and our product. And I actually think ours is better. I think ours has more of that lemony zest thing bite. going on. Yeah. I'm, you, there might be a business in exporting it back over to where they, they appreciate it. Right. Uh, thoughts on best long-term freezer fillers for keto. Uh, what's really wrong with, uh, and also what's really wrong with freezer burn tastes like shit. You can eat freezer burn food. That's not going to kill yeah. you. It just doesn't taste good. Um, I mean, my freezers are full of beef. So if I'm going to be the example of, of say what you do and do what you say, I fill my freezer with cow and pig and chicken. Yep. Uh, but especially cow. Like I think of, I'm a equal opportunity carnivore, <laughs> but if when I look at purely from a nutrient density standpoint, I yep. think ruminants are yep. the thing. So lamb, beef, those are your two big ruminants, yeah. I guess. Goats. Yeah. goats. Are goats a ruminant? Yeah. Okay. Lamb, lamb and beef would yeah. would be my my two top, because I yeah. like lamb better than goat. Yeah, and 
Um, I had a question earlier about, I think it was an email and I just said, don't do it. They were asking about a cheap vacuum sealer mm. and I'm yeah, don't cheap out on that. always be frugal, never be cheap. Yeah. And there's certain things that you'd be less frugal with and kitchen equipment, unless it's like something simple, if it's something that's mechanical and has moving parts, don't be too frugal even with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be investing this year. One of my upgrades is I'm going from the Cabela's commercial back sealer that has to use the vacuum seal bags. They have to be special bags and they have the little channel. So the air can come out right. and all the problems go with it. I'm going to invest in a chamber vacuum. And I think that's some people call them cryovacs. That's, yeah. that's the way to go. And what makes them, like, I never really understood why, why do they not, why can you take something wet Stick it in there and, and not have it get in the seal like it does with a vac sealer. It's because it vacuums the entire space. Right. So the bag stays, looks like it's, in, it's still open. Mm -hmm. So basically the thing holds the bag open. Mm -hmm. It sucks mm -hmm. the entire chamber of all air. So there's no place for any of the liquid to flow. Yep. Then it seals. And then when you open the vacuum, the bag just collapses on the food. Mm -hmm. I'm getting one of those because any decent plastic bag that can be sealed will work with it and supply chain issues. And so if you don't want freezer burn, properly store your meat and right. you won't have freezer burn. And I've eaten, can seal it. you know, I've eaten meat that's in the freezer for two years and yeah. it's as long as it stays frozen, it's fine. Okay. What do we got here from Don Ricardo? Where can we find the best quail books and resources to start? I've never read a book on quail in my life. I haven't either. No idea. I don't know. No idea. I would go to the I would go to one of the TSP groups on like MeWe or something and ask somebody that's already doing it to tell you what to do. But when I kept quail, it didn't require I would just, a lot. I would of knowledge. just get quail, <laughs> get quail, get good quail caging, start raising quail, yeah, and perfect a hatching process and a breeding process. Um, I will say there were little things I learned, like I had some prolapse um, as my birds started laying, mm -hmm. and it's because they weren't getting enough grit. So then I had to find the fine oyster shell for grit for them because they didn't have access to the ground because they were in a stack. Sure. So there are some little things, but it wasn't, it wasn't hard. And I, what I would do, you got to get quail before you have quail. So you're going to buy quail. They don't ship real well. Don't let that scare you. Some people do ship them, but they don't. Almost anywhere in the United States or somebody on Craigslist or Facebook local or whatever selling quail. So when you buy your quail, say, can I look at how you raise your quail? Mm -hmm. And then somebody that actually does it well enough to produce enough surplus to sell quail will show you what they do. Go do that. Just, yeah. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Just do what they're doing. And then once you're successful with it, then you can do things different and change it up. How yeah. you want to do it. Then you can build a quail tractor. Or anything. Right. Just do it the way they're. So we've been raising these Courtney's quail, these Japanese quail. Since like 2100 years, they've been raising these birds. Mm -hmm. They literally are designed to be raised. Like whatever they started with is not what we have. It's been bred to be this and it's really easy. The other thing I learned is if you have like you're doing rack systems and you you want breeding. So you have, let's say six birds for the cage. It's a cage big enough for six birds. One male. Yep. One male. Cause the girls will, they'll, they'll accept one. They will mer mercilessly attack other males. And then this is why I don't like the A&M ones, right? So I, when I first did quail, I got A&M quail from this guy up the road. And after I had them for a while, I was like, which ones are my roots? Mm -hmm. 
which one's on my mails? So I, I call the guy up and he goes, do you drink beer? I'm like, that's an odd question. And he's like, so get a beer, sit in front of your cage and wait till they crow. And as soon as they crow, grab the one out and put a band on it. And I'm like, the brown ones, he's like, well, they have the, the, the breast is different. Mm-hmm. So I ate all the white quail <laughs> and I started running the browns because they weren't really that much bigger anyway. Mm-hmm. And the ability to just go, dude, chick yep, was so much easier with that. And I did them aviary. I did them uh, tractored and I did them rack. I preferred the tractor and I preferred the aviary from a overall standpoint. The rack was the easiest thing. It was really, really, and it was easy to automate because you put in a big tank of water, you put in a flow valve. Yep. They're good for a week. You do make a big hopper feeder. Yep. Basically, just take a big piece of four-inch pipe, mm-hmm. put it up the side of the thing, and then put a feeder out of it, and you fill that pipe, and they're good for a week and a half. Yep. And we have a, a mutual friend, Dave, that travels a lot, and he even has birds incubating while he's on the road and comes home, and they're hatching the day he gets home. Yep. So I think that there's there's a lot there with that, but... Yeah, just go do it. Like everything we just gave you, that's all the weird shit you'll have to deal with. Um, Texas Eco Farm says our pool is now a mosquito fish factory. Will chickens eat them if I net them and throw them in their pen? Yes, yes. they will. Yes, they will. <laughs> if I'll put it this way. <laughs> if a chicken got really big or you got really small, a chicken would eat you. Yeah. There's not much a chicken won't eat. They don't eat squash bugs. Yep. I saw a chicken eat one squash bug one time and it made a, a sound that sounded like, no, 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 no. And it ran away. <laughs> and like all the chickens looked at it and they all kind of looked at each other and all looked at it. And one was like, I'll try it. <laughs> it was that one chicken, you know, and like, so they don't eat with squash bugs and they don't eat stink bugs. I don't know anything else they don't eat. They damn sure eat scorpions. They eat scorpions. They eat spiders. They eat. They'll eat just about anything they can fit in their mouth. That tastes good. They don't eat onions. They don't, yep. I've never met, met a chicken that liked an onion or a garlic. Yep. They eat citrus. People say they don't eat citrus. They eat citrus. Mm-hmm. Maybe not lemons, but they definitely, like, my wife buys those freaking little cutie oranges for yep. the kids, yep. and half of them never get eaten, and they get rotted, and we throw them in compost, and they eat the hell out of those. They eat grapes. They eat everything. Yep. They'll yep. definitely eat fish. Um, they also like the little shrimps that I grow, too, the neocardanias. Um Built one from a mini fridge. I think that's talking about an uh, incubator. Incubator, yeah. yeah. And a lot of people do that. And you could use a full-size fridge. And what you'll find right now, Nick, is freezers and refrigerators are still in poor supply. But broken ones are not. That's right. So if you go on Nextdoor or something like that and say, I'm looking for a broken ref- stand-up refrigerator, if anybody has one, Getting rid of one is it's, a problem. They're free. Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll give it to you. I've seen people like since we're on improvis- improvisation. I've seen people bury them. Yeah, and where you open them like a chest freezer, yep. even not a chest model, and make uh, mini uh, root cellars out. Of yep, yep. I've seen that done too. Um, is Nick still doing rabbits? We already said no, but he might start doing them again. How hard is it to breed rosy red minnows? It's hard enough that you should grow mosquito fish. That's how hard it is. It's not hard, but they need like a cave. You yeah. have to give them like cinder blocks work really well for this. Like if they up against something, so it actually is, they want an opening and they want it to be closed on one side and the male will go in there and attract females and then they spawn and they lay eggs and they have to take care of them. 
and everything eats them. So you have to put them in an isolated system with no predation. A mosquito fish is a North American guppy. Yep. And it has babies alive. It does live birth and a female will basically drop a couple, three a day, yep. like on an ongoing continuous basis. And I've never been able to make them not breed. Yeah. The only thing I've ever been told is as easy is uh, white cloud minnows. And I've never been able to get them to breed. Yeah. Everybody says you just put them in a tank and they breed. Not me. But mosquito fish, you've been out in my system. They're everywhere. Yeah. They're everywhere. So or, I would or do guppies. The, yeah, you can do guppies, but they're going to die when the water goes to like 65 or something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. 50. I know whatever temperatures they say that fish die at. If that temperature is reached over time, it's much lower than what they say. Right. If they reach that temperature quickly. I've had guppies over winter. Really? Yeah. In an aquarium outside in my breezeway. Ice? Uh, I don't think I ever got ice. Ice, okay. Yeah, you're a little warmer than me. Yeah. But the mosquito fish don't even care. But what you'll see with your mosquito fish population is right about now they start really producing. And by midsummer. Any place you have them, like, you're like, dude, I think I could walk across that on top mm-hmm. of them. And then by, like, the end of August, there's hardly any left. Mm-hmm. And I think they just die off. And, like, I don't know if it's, like, they draw lots mm-hmm. and who gets the black stone gets decimated or whatever. But, yeah. like, the best genetics seem to survive through. And you'll see, like, one fat female swimming around in there and a couple little ones. Yep. And then next spring, the whole thing, you think you lost them. Just, and they just explode again. And then you have no mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. So I would do those before I would do rosy reds. And rosy reds, guys, are just fathead minnows. Yeah. They're just fathead minnows with that are amelanistic, that have that color. Um, if there's one thing we have around here, it's poplar. Okay. You're probably talking about Liriodendrum tulipifera. And they ha- kind of have a, uh, a four-lobed leaf structure. That's not the poplar I'm talking about. That's why I don't like common names. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about a populous genus hybrid um so it would be cottonwood it would be aspens are also um populous genus um i'm trying to think of of some more of i can't think of any off the top of my head but what what i'm talking about is it's it's cottonwood yeah but what i sell is a hybrid cottonwood so it's hybridized with an aspen or with a a a Black poplar. And that's where we get that hybrid F1 yeah. vigor where we get this excessive, yep. 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 fast, rapid growth rate and a very palatable fodder as well. Mm-hmm. Um, are fodder trees region specific? You know my favorite answer. It depends. It depends. Which tree, which region. And, and that, that's, that's <laughs> another reason why I have those three is because pretty much anywhere in the lower 48, you can grow all three of those. So, no, not region specific. Yeah. Uh, Nick... You ever think about writing an ebook on fodder trees? I think Nick needs to write a fodder tree book. Yeah, I'm working on one, but again, I've just been so swamped with consulting. I just, I just don't have time. And I'm, you know, I, like, like this whole podcast episode is about, I'm worried about yeah. food security. Yeah. So I am pretty much all of my extra energy is going into making sure my family is secure for the future, but. I'm, I'm and I highly that. endorse a book on fodder trees, and I think it would do well for you. And everybody that's a personality should have a thing that's their thing that they're yeah. known for, and I think that's good marketing. But in the end, this is not difficult. No. Plant a whole bunch of them in a line and coppice yeah, or pollard them, and you'll figure it out. Like, our ancestors all did this. Yeah. 
And I mentioned some resources earlier. I'll try to remember to add it to the, the links in the notes. But the BBC stuff that that Ruth, I think it's Ruth Ginsburg is her name, uh, Ruth something. And she's done a whole bunch of series. She did Edwardian Farm, mm-hmm. Tudor Monastery Farm, Wartime Farm, Victorian Era Farm, like all of those. And then there's things that are like Wartime Kitchen, Victorian Kitchen. It's a different group, but all out of the BBC. Like that's all free on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's all worth watching. Honestly, I... A lot of that shit gets taken down. I should strip it all off YouTube and throw it on Odyssey because the producers won't set up Odyssey accounts because the knowledge in those shows is very useful. Yes. For what we're talking about going forward. Yes. Because that was before all the magic technology existed. Yep. And this is the thing about the magic technology. You don't have the magic technology. Even if the magic technology doesn't fail, you don't have, you don't have the budget to go buy a $2 million combine. Right. And you don't have the 40,000 acres that you would need to make it worth buying the $2 million combine. And by the way, you know what they're going to, John Deere's pushing their customers to move to electric. Okay. Here's the problem. When I have a 40,000 acre farm in an electric combine and it runs out of power in the middle of the field. And you're getting power out there. (laughs) I'm all for electric vehicles and everything, but like, yeah, there's gonna be a that's those you're, are, you're switching out batteries. Right? I can take a with tr- a forklift, <laughs> a, a tanker truck, mm-hmm. and pull up to it and pump diesel fuel into it and turn it back on. Mm-hmm. But electricity does not yet move the way Nikola Tesla intended. So yeah, yeah, and go ahead and put your solar panels on the roof and see how long it'll run. Like I, yeah, that's interesting. So you don't have the you don't have the Technology anyway, even if it still exists. Sure. Uh, Al says, willows have a similar size and root profile to mulberries. Can you el- elaborate on why one over the other both seem like good father? That, well, they're both good father. They're both good father. I recommend them both. However, um, again, I, I tell people all the time, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Work, uh, Use what works yeah. first and then, then figure something out better after that. Um, the white mulberry has been developed over literally thousands of years now to be high protein, high digestibility to grow silk. Silk, yep. The, the Chinese did all the work for you before the, you. The work has been done for yeah, you. Don't redo it's the work. Very stable genetics. Don't try and figure something out better. The white mulberry has about 10% more protein than willow. Yeah. So that's why I say it. Yeah, and um, what are you trying to accomplish? Because, like, we were talking about enterprises, and people in the middle of a depression will still buy luxuries. Yes. Like, with the Willow makes some of the best artist charcoal. Yep. Right? So you could have a little coppice fence line mm-hmm. of Willow, and you could be making heirloom artist charcoal. Like, think yep. about what you can do with these things. Sure. But, but you're all about Willow. You yeah. just think that... Yeah. Yeah. Think so mulberry so, makes a better fodder overall. Right. So if, if you're... But you grow both. Yeah, if you're weighing one or the over the other, um, and your space is at a premium, and time is not at a premium, then I say go 90, 80, 90% white mulberry. Sure. That's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I still have the white mulberry, uh, the, the hybrid willow and the hybrid poplar for, uh, nutrient diversity and have, you know, just different stuff for my critters to eat. Um, the white mulberry I think is king. However, um, I think time is at a premium right now. 
Yeah. And the hybrid willow and the hybrid poplar fast. grow very fast. Yeah. The white mulberry will grow four to eight feet in a year. Yeah. Once they're established. Yeah. <laughs> the hybrid willow and the hybrid poplar, the, I mean, the poplar will grow 16 feet in a year. Okay. The willow will grow like 12, 14 feet in a year. Yeah. So when you're talking about just sheer mass volume of feed, you're going to get more out of those. You're going to get higher quality feed out of the, the mulberry. So just an advice here from Pack Radics. My favorite show on this topic is episode 2711. So that's about 100 plus episodes back. 24 Bulletproof Plants for the Backyard Hunter Gatherer. That was a good episode. Y'all can check that out on the survivalpodcast.com. Michael says, do Muscovies eat grass like geese? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. They love grass. And I love things that love grass because grass gets eaten and it just grows back. So I, I love, you know, I love the people that say beef's not sustainable. What's more sustainable than a thing that eats grass? Mm-hmm. It eats grass. Grass grows back. It eats grass again. It poops on the grass that it just ate. Yep. Which grows more grass, which builds more fertility. It grows more grass. It grows more beef. It grows more grass. If it's not sustainable, how did 50 million bison survive until we screwed them up? Right. Mm-hmm. A side note, I was recently in a discussion I was on. I talked about the miracle that is the bison. So North America's reason for being so fertile is that so much of it is natural savanna grassland, mm-hmm. which is the most productive systems on the planet, on terrestrial systems. The only thing that's close in uh, soil building is shallow marine, which is not terrestrial, right? So, yeah. um, but we lost our maintenance animals in North America to yeah. maintain those except the bison. So we had camels in North America. We had horses in North America. We had mastodons and uh, mammoths. We had sloths, sloths mm-hmm. that were bigger than the largest African elephants walking around in North America. Giants. And we had these two massive, they think anyway, asteroidal or comet impacts around the Younger Dryas period that ended the last ice age, which wiped out all our megafauna. And of course, they blame the hunter-gatherer for it. And I, I laugh at that, Nick, because I think about, have you driven across this country? Like, if you have no gunpowder and you have no vehicles... And you're going to try to hunt something like a mammoth to extinction in North America. We ran them off cliffs. Okay, so there's cliffs everywhere. Come on, guys. It's 37 miles away, but we need you to come run off this cliff for us. Like, like we had that impact, and somehow the bison made it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this this continent would have been what it was had we lost them. Because we had those things that made it were the deer, the elk, the right. antelope. Well, they're not ruminants. They're browsers. Right. So they don't graze through grasslands and people think we killed off the buffalo and we did. But the reason we could about the same time they started killing the buffalo, a little thing called barbed wire was invented mm-hmm. and ranchers went out and barbed wired everything to control their cattle. And that funneled the bison into a very predictable migration pattern. And then you could put hunters with 4570s on trains. There's no way we wiped out all that megafauna. That was a natural cataclysm. So there's another reason to be prepared. But if you want productive systems, you want ruminants in it. Yeah. You really do. Any, oh, we already did the sumac, so we Can got we that. Can we put this up on the screen? I just sent that on Telegram to you. Uh, I can. So I'll get you a question and you answer it and I'll, I'll work from there. 
Uh, Al says duck grass damage more from flipper feet smashing duck creek, the consumption, but they eat everything. They all the leaves off my pineapple plants. So that's more of a problem than a question. But if you have ducks, in my opinion, being like the duck guy, yeah, that are mashing and flattening the ground and making duck creek with their web feet, you have too many ducks per square foot. Yeah. Like that's, that's a problem you solve by, you don't see that problem here. No. Right. And there's 50 ducks here. Yeah. Right. But they're, they're moving around. So let's find you another question. Uh, Space World says maybe we should learn how to eat the Roundup Ready resistant weeds. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really give me time. Uh, copy replacement. I love my cup in the morning. Nick, come up with some coffee replacements while I get. Oh here. man. I, I would like say. Teas. Yeah, um, tea, uh, coffee replacement. Man, I, that just makes me sad thinking about it. Um, I mean, you could, again, we can go back to historical, um, examples and we've got, uh, roasted stuff. So we got roasted chicory root, um, Kentucky coffee tree. Yep. Which I know nothing about, but I've been told that I was wrong when I said it's not a good coffee substitute that it actually um, is. Yeah. I've, I've never tried it. So can't attest to how good it would taste. I think, uh, if I had to go without coffee, I would probably just replace, um, that with something like a green tea and we can grow Camellia sinensis just about anywhere in the USA. We can grow Yopon Holly, and uh, I wouldn't want to drink tons and tons of the Yopon tea, but um, yeah, you, you, you know, to, that's your only there's native some, caffeine. There's right some there, caffeine right? for you. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd look into that. Uh, the the chicory thing. Um, I think I think people roasted other seeds like maybe uh, maybe like cowpea. I've been hold, um, told, and it's kind of similar to uh, the. Uh, the hell was it? The, uh, the chicory, uh, dandelion root. Yeah, dandelion, dandelion root. root. Um, um, yeah, uh, I think, uh, there, what's that, what's that tea company? Herbal or herbal something. They have a, they have a coffee substitute tea. Okay. It's called like morning thunder or something. Okay. Um, but I, I'd look at that and see what the, the ingredients list is and, and just play around with uh, with tea ingredients and come up with something like that. Yeah. Uh, there's a thing called mud water people are drinking now. It's a brand name thing. It's a guy that's making millions of dollars. Some yeah. young guy, 28 years old, and it's based on mushrooms, and it's like a mushroom chai. Uh-huh. So I, I guess you could look into what he's doing, and if mm-hmm. you have the right mushrooms, then yep. you could do something like that. To me, my kind of hot beverage of choice outside of coffee has all been herbal teas, and yeah. that's why I have, like, 10 different varieties of mint and I have lemon balm and I have comfrey mm-hmm, and I use mm-hmm. sage and I use all different types. I use, uh, I'll tell you what actually makes a really good tea. You can make a black tea out of it. There's two things. One is goji berries, but not the berries, the leaves themselves. Really? And you can ferment the goji leaf into a black tea. Huh? And you can do the same thing with blackberry leaf. Blackberry yep, leaf and goji I, berry I leaf can both blackberry. be fermented into a black tea substitute. No caffeine. Sure. But it's a pretty good tea. And and to me, like, one of the things I think we need to think about is why do humans drink hot beverages? Right. And it, with coffee, it was because we found this bean that yeah. gave you a buzz, right? Right. But why did we drink hot beverages before we had coffee? 
because it made our water safe to drink. Yes. So that we had, we and had then it, it was flavored. Water. You you boiled the water, mm-hmm. right? And then you either had to wait till it got all the way cold. And since they didn't actually understand why boiling it worked, you waited till it got cool enough that it didn't scald your esophagus to drink it. Yep. And then warm, hot, tepid water tastes like crap. Yep. So they came up with tea as a way to drink to make warm it, water, not to make taste it taste like crap. good. Yeah. Especially when you didn't have ice cubes. Yep. Right. So like you, you're, you're somewhere in the subtropics. It's never going to be cold anyway. You've boiled it. You need it to taste good. So the Chinese, the Japanese and all that's where the tea plant came from. And that's why they did it. And then the uh, caffeine was a byproduct. For those watching the video, we have a, an image up on the screen now that Nick can talk a little bit about and try to be descriptive for those who can't see it. Yeah. So, so for the earlier question of why, um, you know, why white mulberry over the willow or the poplar, um, we've got a, a picture up here from one of my clients and we planted her a little propagation nursery, um, the spring before last. And so these are trees that have been cut all the way to the ground, uh, last year. And on the far left, you can barely see them are, they're probably about eight to 12 inches tall. And those are the white mulberry right next to them is about a five or six foot tall shrub of, of hybrid willow. Okay. Okay. Um, so we got hybrid willow right there. And then right next to it, the next in line to the right, those are the hybrid poplar and those are about 10 foot tall. Now, remember these were cut to the ground last year. Yeah. And then I think there's a, a mixture of a couple of different things that she was propagating to the right of that. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about getting things established quickly versus having the higher quality, it's kind of like that, that old adage with, uh, um, you can have it fast, cheap or good. Yeah. Pick two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got, I've got two very quick producers here that'll get you stuff going extremely fast. And one of the major benefits to the, the hybrid willow and the hybrid poplar is I don't care how black of a thumb you have. You can propagate this stuff. You take the cuttings in the winter time and like an eight to 12 inch stick and you jab it in the ground and it will make a new tree. Yeah. That's all you have to do. There's no, no tricks. There's no rooting hormones you got to come up with. You just take a stick and you jab it in the ground. It makes a new tree. So, um, that, you know, that speaks to that, that whole why one or the over, over the other, you know, it's, it's higher quality, more protein per, yeah. per square foot versus I got stuff this year. Yeah. Gotcha. So we are like, I didn't realize we've burned up like almost two hours here. Yeah. So let's go ahead and wrap up and we'll hit this on the way out. Uh, Jim Jen 328 says, Nick, when are you coming to Tampa, Florida area? I need you. I don't know that you'll be going to Tampa, Florida anytime soon, but how do people get a hold with you for consulting? Because you can do consulting on site. Yep. You can also do remote consulting, though they may wait a little bit right now because you are very busy. Yes. Uh, so if you're interested in consulting, uh, whether that's distance or on site, just uh, go to you can go to Homegrown Liberty forward slash homegrownliberty.com forward slash consulting or just click on there. There's the consulting tab and you can read all about inside uh, on site and uh, in person consulting and then distance consulting. I've got a lot of information up there or you can just send me an email 
with consulting in the subject line. So it goes into my folder with all my consulting stuff. I'll get you on a list. Please include your location, at least the city state. So I know what, what part of the, the world you're in. Um, I might be going up as far as North Dakota later this, this year. And, uh, my wife did want to go to Florida this year. So we might end up going down to Florida. Cool. We'll see. That's a good place to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good climate to grow in too. Mm-hmm. You know, I love people that email me like, I live in zone nine A. What can I grow? I'm like, whatever you want. Right. Just whatever. Anything. You do anything. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff I can't. But anyway, guys, I appreciate y'all being with us today. Thanks, Nick, for hanging out. Uh, we got to go so Nick can get on the road. He's got to get home. And, uh, we appreciate all of y'all. And I will catch you on Monday next week with an episode of Outback with Jack and, We'll go ahead and talk about some of the miserable topics of the day and some stuff you guys have been asking me about. And I was going to do that today, but with Nick here, I thought this would be a much more productive uh, discussion. So we'll catch you guys on the next one. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? said you should have a house the American way dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay there's a better way to do this let me show you a better way